You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I got bronchitis. Ain't nobody got time for that. We're back on the Pipeline Show. We're going to head south of the border and look at the USHL and get an update as the playoffs are uh, well underway. We're a couple of rounds into the uh, USHL playoffs at this point. Uh, and uh, we're going to speak with a good friend of the show, Ryan Wagman from McKean's. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, Ryan. Thanks for making time. How are you? I'm good, Guy. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. And we're a bit behind in uh, the USHL playoff uh, scenario, so you'll have to bring us up to speed. I know there's only four teams left. The uh, conference finals get underway this weekend. Up to this point, any surprises that have uh, that have caught you off guard? So not so much. I mean, if you look at the um, the way the USHL playoffs works is they have four teams, one from each conference that gets a bye to kind of the second round, and teams three through six in each conference play a set of best of three um, like wild card, um, uh, you know, rounds against one another. So you know, in those senses, like the those teams are going to be generally speaking, there's not a big gap between teams three and six in in most leagues Mm -hmm. or in most uh, either of the conferences. Uh, looking at the standings, uh, you know, the way it ended out this year, like in the East, um, Youngstown and Dubuque were, I guess, probably the biggest upset in that Dubuque, uh, defeated Youngstown, even though Youngstown had a 13 point edge during the uh, regular season. But it's kind of hard sometimes to say with the USHL because the USHL often brings up some uh, high school players who spent most of the year with their prep teams, but their years are finished and they sometimes come up. So Dubuque had a couple of, Fairly good ones join their team late in the year, such as Ryder Donovan, who we'll probably be hearing about uh, it for the draft uh, in June. Right. Uh, and Youngstown didn't really have that much of an influx of, of players. Um, you know, another thing that that some, I guess, more casual observers of the USHL might not know is that Team USA, the under uh, the USNTDP teams, during the regular season they play as two different teams. There's the under 17s and the under 18s. Mm-hmm. Both of their records are combined in the standings as to one unit. And so the team finished fifth, which is most most of the wins came from the under 18s. Most of the losses came from the under 17s. I don't have the exact breakdown, but it was very stark this year. Right. Yet when it gets time to the playoffs, um, the un- if they make it, the under 18s are pretty much always by that point playing at the World Under 18 tournament. So it's under 17s that are left kind of to, to hold the bag, and they didn't do very well against Cedar Rapids. They were beat pretty handily. Um, in the in the West. It was, again, you know, it was the two top seeds beating the two bottom seeds, Sioux Falls over Sioux City. The uh, Actually, the second deciding game, and that one went to quadruple overtime uh, before it was decided. So that was pretty cool. Um, and, and Des Moines beat Fargo. Uh, in, in the next round now, so once the first wildcard round is done, then the two remaining wildcard teams in each conference play the top two seeds in each conference. Right. And... Unlike the NHL this year, where all the top, pretty much it seems like all the top teams uh, were, were knocked out in the first round, uh, three out of the four, you know, non wildcard teams survived that first round. So in the East, uh, Muskegon defeated uh, Dubuque, um, and, and you know, fairly handily. Dubuque, I think, won one out of uh, five games. It's a best of five the rest of the USHL playoffs. So that was ended in four. Chicago also beat Cedar Rapids in four. Uh, in the West, Tri City swept. Um, uh, Des Moines uh, and uh, Waterloo actually the one minor upset Waterloo is defeated by Sioux Falls but when you think about it it's not a huge upset that they both ended the season with 30, uh, with 85 points mm. and Waterloo just advanced as the non-wild card uh, due to the, uh, the re- you know regular uh, excuse me regulation or overtime win tiebreaker 
So that was a huge upset. Uh, Sioux Falls won that one in four. And now we're about to start the second round or the second full round starts tomorrow with uh, Muskegon and Chicago in the east and uh, Tri-City and um, Sioux Falls gets their series going on, I believe it's Tuesday. Now, are these also best of five or are these uh, the normal best of sevens? These are best of five. The USHL tends to go best of five. Um, you know, these, these are mostly, I guess, players who are, are, for the most part, expecting to join a university, if not next year, then soon. So, you know, ac- academics are still pretty important. And uh, the arenas are not, I guess, always as available uh, as, as they might be in some of the bigger CHL, uh, you know, uh, uh, markets. Okay. So they they do play best of five for the rest of the, uh, of the playoffs. All right. Well, between Muskegon and uh, Chicago, they were the two uh, teams that got the buys uh, through the uh, the wild card uh, round, if you want to call it that. Uh, is there a, a favorite going into that series, or is it a coin flip? Well, you know, Muskegon did have. Um, they were by far the best team in the East when you look at the entire season. Had they had an eight point gap between them and Chicago uh, for the, the the pole position, but I don't think it's quite a, as disparate a, a matchup as the points would suggest. Uh, a lot of Muskegon's success came early in the year when they just kind of ran out to a big lead and they kind of coasted a little bit the rest of the way and also impacting their play through the, um, at least through the playoffs. And I, I wasn't even sure they would survive that first round was because uh, one of their better players, a, a young Russian forward named Daniel Gushin is actually not available to them. He is with Russia at the world under 18s. Mm. Um, as, as I think has been noted in the past, often with the, unlike with the CHL, where if a player's um, parent team, CHL team, is still alive in the postseason, that player does not typically go to their to represent their country at the World Under 18s. In the USHL, it's actually generally the reverse. Most players, if they are eligible and are invited to play for their country at the World Under 18s, they will leave their um, their USHL team. It happened a couple of years ago with Andrei Sashnikov. Yeah. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised it didn't happen with Igor Afanasyev. Of Muskegon, and I'm, I'm hoping to inquire on that. Uh, my understanding is he he was most likely invited. I'm going to try to confirm that when I get out to the game one of that series tomorrow. But um, his teammate Daniel Gushin did leave, uh, and and is in uh, Sweden right now playing for Team Russia. Uh, whereas Chicago is playing at full strength, uh, they have the best offense in the league uh, outside of the under 18s, I suppose. But they have the best offense of definitely any team that's still around. Um, and if Chicago's defense can hold steady, I, I think it can be. I, I think we can see a mild upset having a Chicago going back to the finals. But Muskegon is a good team. You know, there is, as I mentioned, that you have Igor Afanasyev, who is one of the better um, draft prospects in the league, not counting the under-18s. Right. Uh, you have another player, um, a defenseman named Alex Yakovenko, who I, I just realized a few uh, weeks ago was actually is um, draft eligible, even though he's a 98 born. There is a small, I guess, loophole for players playing in North America, but who have only been here for a short while from Europe. And he, he's a very good offensive defenseman. Um, they have a good, strong all-around team. You know, they're a more veteran team, Muskegon, even without, uh, even, well, I guess Gushin's only 17, so it's not really making a big difference there. But they have a very big, uh, they have a veteran team. Uh, Mikko Hakarainen, who missed a lot of time this year, a Chicago draft pick, is back and playing, so that's going to be to their benefit. Um, you know, but the Steel have a lot of exciting players too. I mean, they have a good offense for a reason. One of my favorite prospects to watch this year in the league was uh, Robert Master Simone. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was on your show a few months ago. Yep. 
Uh, he's just a very like a high energy player. Reminds me a lot of a Robbie Fabry back in his draft year. Uh, makes a lot of things happen. Uh, they have the league's leading uh, point getter in uh, Nick Abrazizi. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Um, he's a, he'll be a third year eligible player. And I know some scouts think he could get drafted this year too. Um, they can score from the blue line as well. I mean, we'll be seeing a guy like uh, Owen Power. He's I think only a 2021 eligible, if I'm not mistaken. But he's a massive kid from uh, from the Toronto area who's playing in Chicago. And after a slow start to the year, has really started to turn things on. Um, so I think it's going to be a good hard-fought series. I think we're going to see a lot of goals. And if Chicago's goaltending, which has been a bit rough at times this year, can hold up, we could see the mild upset there. Okay. On the other side of the bracket, uh, in the other uh, Western Conference final, the uh, Tri-City Storm and the Sioux Falls Stampede will uh, collide, uh, and uh, the winner will, will advance to the uh, league championship. Uh, between those two teams, is there much to pick from? Well, yeah, there is. I mean, if you look at, you know, the, the, sta- and the standings, there's again about 10 points that separate the two in the regular season. But if you dig a little bit deeper, both teams are very good goals, um, offensive teams, slightly, just a little bit behind what Chicago is doing in the, in the East. But defensively, you see a huge gap. Tri City was by far the best defensive team in the league this year. Mm. Uh, part of that is goaltending, where you have, uh, Isaiah Seville, who is a, just a fantastic athletic netminder. I think one of the top three or four goalies available in the draft this year. Um, not, not, I think not that far off a guy like Spencer Knight, but Seville is a little bit on the smaller side. I think he's only about six foot six one or so, but just a fantastic netminder. And they have just a great deal of, um, of strength on the blue line. Uh, a player like, uh, who is the league, I guess they call it the, uh, most, most valuable player, not the most, um, I forget the, the term they use, but basically the league MVP, uh, Ronnie Adder, a goalie who scored about 30 goals this year, uh, which is fantastic in any league. Uh, but he, he's a, it's a third year eligible blue liner. He's going to be going to Western Michigan next year. He put up about 30 goals. He's a good skater. He's big. He's got a big shot and he knows when to use it. Also in the blue line, there's a league rookie of the year, uh, Zach Jones. Um, Seville, I mentioned, was the league's goalie of the year. I think they, they pretty much swept the yep. league awards other than top forward, which went to Bobby Brink, mm-hmm. uh, who is the one uh, non-US NTDT player playing with uh, Team USA up in uh, Sweden right now. Um, so Tri-City is just a fantastically, uh, like a fantastic shutdown team. Uh, they're, they're also very physical. You know, they don't get a lot of penalties, but they, they just know how to really physically shut down opposing players. And the league, the USHL is not a very physical league, and I think that aspect of their game has really helped them stand out this year. On the other hand, we have a team like Sioux Falls, who they're a very good team as well. Um, you know, the goaltending isn't quite that same level, and that's, I think, going to be the big the big edge for Tri-City. But they have a lot of talented players. You're looking at guys like Ryan Johnson, a uh, really good puck-moving defenseman, very good skater. Um, another uh, second-year eligible draft guy in uh, Max Crozier, who I believe is from Alberta. Um, he uh, very fast really, really kind of offensively aggressive defenseman. Uh, some talented forwards like uh, Ethan Silks missed a few games towards the end, so I don't know what his health status is, but if he's there, he kind of adds a dynamic element on a smaller frame. Uh, it's like Anthony Romano is kind of a do-it-all center. I really like Andre Lee. He's a big Swedish left winger who's, um, who's kind of just a really rangy, really quick power forward who sometimes shows his hand, but more often is plays kind of a, a plugger, you know, mule, puck retrieval type of role, but he's a lot of fun to watch. So 
I, I think Sioux Falls could make it interesting, but I also really wouldn't be surprised if TriSwiss City just ran to the finals in three or four games. All right, Ryan Wagman from McKean's uh, bringing us up to speed on what's happening in the USHL playoffs. We'll touch on uh, the awards again. As you mentioned, it was almost a complete sweep for the Tri-City Storm with uh, Ronnie Adder getting the Player of the Year and the Defenseman of the Year. Isaiah Seville, Goalie of the Year. Rookie of the Year goes to Zach Jones. And just Bobby Brink, uh, the lone uh, non-Tri-City Storm player to get an award as uh, Forward of the Year. Plays for the Sioux City Musketeers. Um, maybe touch on Bobby Brink a bit. I, I've tried to get him on the show a few times, but never just just didn't haven't uh, seemed to have been able to find a, uh, an availability with him just yet. What kind of a player is he? You know, he's a really interesting player. I was I was trying to consider the way we do things at McKean's is kind of we put um, grades on a number of different aspects of a player's game in terms of how we project to go. So you know, skating and the shot and puck skills, IQ, physicality, um, and and that allows us to kind of compare apples to apples across the, the hockey world. And you know, Brink is a player, he, he's not a very quick player. Like his skating, I think, will need a lot of work. But he's got a great shot, and he's a, a very talented puck player, and he's smart. He finds these little pockets in the defense and, you know, is able to get a stick open and, and make something happen really quickly. Um, you know, and I was looking at other players we've looked at in the last few years, and I couldn't find another uh, draft-eligible forward who kind of had that, a similar profile of kind of, you know, mediocre to okay skating, but very good puck skills, uh, very good offensive skills and a high hockey IQ. So, you know, he's someone who there are players like, you know, if you look at the NHL, there are bigger players who have similar profiles, maybe a, a Mark Stone or a, you know, and I'm not comparing him necessarily to Mark Stone, but just sort of similar blend of skills. Uh, even a John Tavares in a way, although Tavares is a bit more, uh, physical, you um, know, has kind of a lot more strength to his game. Uh, so, you know, if Brink can improve his skating as he goes to college and he gets to the pros eventually, he could be a really good forward down the road. But it's something that he'll definitely have to work on. Sounds like a, a project for sure. Can you be small and not quick and have success at the next level? It's hard. It, it's hard. But, you know, he has enough of everything else that I'm not going to discount him at all. Okay. And and it's not that he's slow. He's not a plodding forward. He's just, you know, he kind of, he doesn't really, uh, I've, at least I've never seen in my viewings of them, him really kind of push himself to, to kind of lead the offense. Somebody else will kind of enter the zone and he'll kind of come up, you know, afterwards as more of a trailer and find a spot and, and make himself impactful that way. You know, but he he's kind of tough. He's hard-nosed. Um, you know, he missed some time early in the year at the uh, the World Junior A Challenge. He broke a bone in his leg blocking a shot. I think it might have been his ankle. I don't have it on hand, but he might have broke his, his ankle or uh, his uh, cracked leg bone blocking a shot. He's a tough player. Uh, but, you know, his real strength is just the fact that he knows where to best position himself to make an impact on his team. You mentioned uh, Isaiah Seville as a goaltender that you're pretty high on this year, and I, I was surprised. Not, I, I don't know the goalie. I haven't seen him play, so... But just uh, seeing the NHL Central scouting ranking, he, they had him eighth and they dropped him to 13 in their final rankings. Everybody's got their own opinion, though. You think he's uh, he could be one of the top four or five goalies taken? I think so. I mean, you know, listen, I'm not going to say, you know, he, which exact number he should be. And, of course, every every NHL team will have something different. Right. You know, At the end of the day, it takes one team to really like a player to draft him. But I have seen no reason for Seville not to be a, a top goal, other than the fact that you might not like a goalie who's 6'1 as opposed to 6'3. Um, he's extremely athletic. He positions himself very, you know, technically he's very sound. 
And you can't really argue with those numbers. Uh, you know, he did miss some time. I'm not sure what the injury was, but he missed about a month or so uh, shortly after the, the CH, um, USHL All-Star game. Uh, but he came back strong. You know, he did split time towards the end of the season with uh, Jake Bar- Barzuski, I think is uh, how I pronounce the name. Uh, but for the postseason, it's been all Seville. And, you know, he's not letting the puck in the net again. So, you know, what do you want out of a goal? You want him to stop the puck. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what Isaiah Seville does. Um, there are other goalies. There's, you know, there's the Russian goalie who was really great at the World Juniors, Kachetkov. There's a few goalies in the CHL this year. It's not a bad draft for goalies. I'm not saying Seville should go ahead of Spencer Knight by any means. But uh, if I'm looking for a goalie in maybe the late second or even the third round, I'd be, I'd be hoping Seville would be on the board. That's somebody I'd, I'd like to keep in my system and, and, and watch him develop. I mean, it's, he does the number one thing you would need a goalie to do. Uh, I mentioned uh, Robert Master Simone, who I had on the show. I think the first guy out of the USHL I had on this year might have been Shane Pinto. Uh, and uh, at the time, I think he was still playing with Lincoln, if I remember correctly. But um, now leading uh, the way in, in, in playoff scoring for uh, the Tri-City Storm, so a nice pickup for them. Is this a guy you think could potentially be a first-rounder weekend at the end? Um, not personally, no. I mean, I, I think he's a fine player. I just think when I see he can disappear a little bit at times, he kind of be subsumed by their offense. He has had a great three games, no question about that. And he's been a fine pickup for Tri-City. I personally don't see him in the first round. I don't think he's horribly far from the first round. I've seen stranger picks in the first round that I, I've had more of a problem with. But I think looking at uh, skaters from the non-under-18 USHL, he'd probably be fourth on my list behind uh, Master Simone, Brink, and uh, Igor Afanasyev. Okay, so not first round, but maybe mid-second round, something like that. I think that would be reasonable. Okay. Uh, anything else we want to cover out of the USHL, Ryan? Well, there was something interesting. Um, you know, is, some people might know the USHL has, um, I guess, not exactly folded, but uh, put uh, taken away a team essentially uh, from right. the league. Yeah. The Central Illinois Flying Aces are uh, won't be around next year. I, I, my understanding is they're not, you know, completely one hundred percent forever shuttered, but um, they're at least quote-unquote, tempor- they have a temporary withdrawal from the on-ice competition. Yeah, that's what they said about the Indiana Ice a few years ago, too. You know what, it, it's it's an interesting league. I mean, I, I've been down to Bloomington a number of times this year and in the past. They play in a really, really big arena, and it's always it was always empty. Mm-hmm. And it was sad. You know, they, they had some good, talented players on their team uh, pretty much every year. They've had a hard time getting a good team record, but there's always some interesting talent there, and they play in a nice barn, and it's not the worst barn I've been in by any stretch in the uh, USHL. Um, but now there's going to be, I guess they'll be used for concerts and other things. Um, and they've had some good players, and the dispersal draft, so basically what's happening is everybody who um, is still eligible to play in the USHL, so they're not yet, I think, uh, below 21, they still have the ability to play for a year if they're not going to college yet was open to be drafted by all teams other than the USNTDP. They kind of, they stock their team a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the league, I, I, I actually don't know how they made the order because it wasn't worst got the first pick, but the league uh, basically had all of their players be uh, drafted or their rights picked up by other teams. And I, I believe the, um, at least the, the selection process had a lot, a lot of it to do with where a player was going to be willing to go and whether the team thought a player would be, um, would still be playing a USHL hockey next year as opposed to going to school. Um, but, you know, some of the, I think the most interesting 
uh, draft pick, at least from, uh, or I'll say two players of interest who, um, who should be making an impact still in the USHL next year would be, there's a Lyndon Breen, a, um, a smaller forward from, uh, from the Maritimes in Canada who had a good start to the year, but slowed down as the year went on. But, uh, he, he was picked up by Fargo. And my understanding is he'll still be in the USHL next year. Yeah. And, more than him, though, is a player named Stephen Halliday. Uh, Stephen Halliday is a, I think he's a 2020 eligible winger, big, big young man from the Toronto area. And he was drafted by Dubuque. Um, and I think those two are still players that are going to have an impact, but they're really everybody was, was uh, you know, picked up. Uh, like Trevor Janik, he's probably not going to be in the league next year. He'll probably be drafted uh, in, in, you know, the third, fourth round type of player. He was picked up on Muskegon, although, again, I don't think he's going to be playing next year uh, in, in this league. Um, Mitchell Gibson, who was drafted by the Washington Capitals last year, uh, goalie, um, but ended up playing this year in the USHL, was picked up by Dubuque. I think Gibson will also be going to college um, next year. But it, it's, it's an interesting scenario, and it'll be interesting to see how that impacts the overall league quality. You know, the, the league, I think the USHL, since I've moved to the States and started covering the league more regularly, uh, it, it's improved year over year in terms of the overall quality of players in the league, but the depth is still not quite to par with with the CHL. With one less team and that kind of raising the the tide all around, it might provide for a more competitive league all around. And at least that that's my hope. And, and you know, clearly the hope is also that there aren't other markets that are having uh, this sort of uh, struggle to to make ends meet to you know to be successful off the ice as well as on. Yep, no, that makes sense too. All right, Ryan, I appreciate your time and a uh, great setup uh, for the uh, conference finals in the USHL playoffs and uh, everything else we touched on as well. Thanks for doing this. I uh, look forward to chatting again. Likewise, take care, Guy. Here's Ryan Wagman uh, giving us a uh, pretty good preview of what's to come and uh, what has also uh, already happened in the USHL playoffs. Uh, some confusion when I looked at the USHL website. It seems like they hadn't updated their their own schedule. Uh, it's, it still showed Sioux Falls Stampede uh, playing Waterloo this weekend, yet uh, Sioux Falls uh, uh, won that series already. So it was a little bit confusing. Uh, somebody fell asleep at the, uh, at the switch there at the old USHL. Pretty impressive uh, run by the Tri-City Storm in terms of the awards as well, nearly sweeping uh, all five-player awards. I think you would have to consider them the favorites uh, to win the Clark Cup at this point. But we'll see. That's why they play the games. Anything can happen. All right. Up next on the show, we'll uh, have an in-the-dub segment as a Braden Sullivan from DraftGeek is going to stop by. The WHL Bano Draft is less than a week away. Get to know some of the players who will be in the WHL and uh, uh, probable first-round picks. What will happen with uh, Matthew Savoy? We'll uh, touch on that as well. All that coming up next here on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. And Doc will get back to it. Doc at his blue line. Comes to center. Ducks around Leeson. In over the line on the wing. Trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front. Shoots and scores! Ah! Oh, let's go! Kirby Doc puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the boos from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Doc. And the Blades have opened the scoring in game two in Prince Albert. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. Yeah! Oh, I 
excitement as your Edmonton Oil Kings bring the third round of the WHL playoffs to Rogers Place. And this Sunday afternoon, the heated series against the Prince Albert Raiders continues. Don't miss the pivotal Game 6 in the chase for WHL supremacy. This Sunday, 2 p.m. Edmonton Oil Kings, Prince Albert Raiders, Fear the Roar, Eastern Conference Finals. Great family entertainment at Rogers Place starts at just $22 a seat for a single game ticket. Save on day of game pricing now at oilkings.ca. 